The Athletic. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with Now. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. They've had their warning. They've had their warning. Here's Lucy Bryans. That is remarkable from Arsenal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Now. Coming up in the title decided, Chelsea and the Gunners fire shots till they're blue in the face. And sweet Caroline. Oh, oh, oh. It's Kate Borsay here, joined by two very special guests. It's O.L. Rain and Wales midfielder Jess Fishlock and former Chelsea Centurion and England defender Claire Rafferty. Hi to both of you. Jess, a warm welcome to the podcast to you as well. I know you've recently signed a new two-year deal to stay in Seattle, but at the moment it's international duty for you at the moment with Wales, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just in sunny Spain right now uh, with Wales, with the tournament, so kind of looking forward to that. So you've got the Pinatar Cup, haven't you, coming up? I know that your first game is against Scotland tomorrow, I yeah, understand. Yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> High stakes? Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. They're a tough team and they're, they, they're a good team for us to play um, right now, given where we are. So we're just kind of excited, just trying to get everybody to get on the field and not get any injuries and, and then maybe try and work towards our qualifiers. Yeah, quite a crazy schedule over there for you. Uh, I know you're in pre-season with OL Reign. And we have to say congratulations as well for being named the NWSL MVP last season, best player in the league, uh, essentially. Now you're gearing up for a new campaign as well. But I also hear on the grapevine that after football's over for you, you are seriously contemplating a career in politics. Of course, I'm a bit of a politics geek, so I need to know more about this. Why politics, Jess, after the sporting career's over? <sighs> you know, I've, I've had, I kind of, when I had this conversation on the TV show that I did, I kind of almost regret, regret saying this because <laughs> so, so many people have asked me, like, why would you do this? Why would you do that? And the the simplest answer to it really is after being in America when Trump was governing and I'm watching kind of what's happening back home, I honestly just think like there needs to be a massive shakeup with the politics and how it works and who's running for it and, and that kind of stuff. And so I kind of, I enjoy it. Like I enjoy how it works. I enjoy policies. I enjoy how you can make that difference. And being a voice for those who don't have a voice, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I I think it'd be I think I would really enjoy it. And I'd have, I have a, I feel like I have a passion about it, and that's really like really really important that I still do something that I'm passionate about after I play because I've been so passionate about playing, you know. So, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> you've given you know so much of your life to football and you've got this really unique viewpoint as you say um having lived in the states and lived through trump's presidency but look it's really lovely to have you with us and we're looking forward to getting some insight from you claire rafferty raff for you you were at king's meadow for the big title decider of course it didn't didn't do much to decide the title in the end but atmosphere at king's meadow we'll talk about the game in a bit with michael cox from the athletic but just from a sheer being there point of view what was it like? Yeah, it was a spicy, spicy occasion. I felt the tension as soon as I arrived, actually. Yeah, I could, hear, I could see the flags flying around King's Meadow. It was a, a very exciting occasion, probably the most electric um, atmosphere I felt in a while at King's Meadow. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about the game in just a second. First of all, though, let's choose our moments of the WSL with now. Moments of the Women's Super League with now. Watch the big moments from the WSL Live with a Now Sports membership. We saw arguably then the best show of football this season in the London Derby title decider. Plus we had Caroline Weir's Puskas Worthy Chip, another one, Emily Eichelin's Consolation Crot and Jill Scott's overhead assist. Quite some height there she got. What have you gone for though as your moment of the WSL with Now? Raf, you go first. My moment has to be the Leah Williamson handball shout. 
against Chelsea. For me, it were her face spoke volumes of the late, um, late decision by the referee to not award the penalty. It would have totally turned the game on the head and actually gone against Arsenal, who I thought could have been the deserved winners of that game. Yeah, it was really high stakes, wasn't it, in that game? And I've gone for another high stakes moment. Millie Bright, uh, look, she was absolutely brilliant in her own box, scrambled off the line on more than one occasion. At one point, though, Arsenal came close to scoring from a corner. She was on the line. She headed it clear. So tense was this moment that the crowd gasped, which I thought was amazing. So well done to Millie Bright, but particularly that moment right in the dying minutes of the game and her determination really keeping Chelsea in it. Jess, what about you? Have you got a moment from the weekend? Mine's just the same as, as Raf's. I think the handball and Leah Williamson's handball was was the biggest moment because for me it just it changes everything. If if it gets caught and it was handball, so she's got she's got away with it. And I was watching it on TV and I was I was honestly cracking up because she knew right away. She looked over at the ref. She just walked away almost knowing that that was a penalty um, and then the ref never gained it and she was like oh oh okay and then started to get back into the game but if that had uh, the guilt was all over her face wasn't it oh it was I'm surprised she didn't end up just giving her a little smug little smile to be honest she knew that it was yeah a, a little wink at the camera I yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um, but I think if it yeah I mean Chelsea score that game's over title's done so for me that was the moment of the game for sure well, those were our moments. Let us know what you would pick on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod or at The Athletic UK. Now let's dive into the biggest game so far of the season. You can stream the biggest moments of the Women's Super League with Now. You can watch all the Sky Sports action for 11 99 by grabbing a Now Sports Day membership. For more information, search Now Sports or visit nowtv.com. First up then, the Chelsea-Arsenal-London derby, the big title decider. It may have ended nil-nil, but what a spectacle. Midfielder Mar, did you get it? Masterminded a next-level Arsenal attack and Kerr, Kirby and Harder came so close for Chelsea. There were bodies on the line, a disallowed goal and handball appeals right down to the wire. But Arsenal emerged with their two-point lead at the top still intact. To chat through this with us, we're joined by the Athletics' titan of tactical analysis, Michael Cox. How are you, Michael? Very well. Thanks for that introduction, Kate. (laughs) You were there at Kings Meadow for this game, Michael. And I just wondered initially to start us off with, which side leads the happier from this matchup? I think Arsenal looking at the table. I think it was important that they didn't lose this game, especially after how badly the FA Cup final went for them. So yeah, I think Arsenal come out a bit stronger, but I think in terms of the game, it was pretty even. It was quite a good nil-nil in the sense there were chances. There was dominance in, in different periods for both sides. But um, yeah, I think Arsenal will be relatively content with it. Um, I suppose the difference from maybe this game a couple of years ago or, or even last season would be that these teams are dropping more points to the rest of the sides in the league. So I think previously we'd look at this and think that's a bit of a title decider and some other points, uh, you know, easy to rack up. But that hasn't been the case this season. So I kind of came away from it thinking that the winner was the WSL. One, because the title race is still very much on. And two, because there's so many opportunities for all the other sides in the league to, to play a part in the title race as well. Great attacking moments. And of course, both defences played a really important part in this naturally as well. For you... What was most interesting? Did you look at the role that Miedemar was playing, you know, dropped back behind Blackstenius? Was it the Chelsea defence? What kind of really, really stuck out to you here as something that really worked, really favoured their side? I mean, it was a funny game where I didn't think there was any real defining characteristic, you know, that, that settled the game. Obviously, the game wasn't settled at all. But yeah, I mean, Miedemar in midfield, I think, was was interesting. That deeper role behind Blackstenius. You have to think that's probably how Arsenal are going to play for for the foreseeable future until the end of the campaign. And then obviously there's a question about whether Miedemar's there next season. But I thought that worked really well. Those those front two seemed like they they had a, a good relationship. Mm. I think the only thing lacking maybe was sometimes when the ball was wide, Blackstenius obviously, you know, hasn't been playing in this side for that long and, and maybe didn't anticipate some of the crosses coming into the box. And maybe if she had done it, then there would have been a couple more goal-scoring chances. But I mean, I think both sides played quite well. I thought that the level of the game was really good. And I think Chelsea... You know, in the second half, had had some periods of dominance as well. I think maybe the most impressive thing from from the game is not something we really kind of think of as, you know, 
tactical analysis or that kind of thing. But there's so much good last-ditch defending. I mean, I think, you know, some of the blocks that Arsenal got in, I thought Millie Bright was just really fantastic in the last 10 minutes when there were some aerial balls to deal with. And Jess Carter as well. I think twice in a row, she's been absolutely outstanding for Chelsea against Manchester City when they had to weather the storm in the last 20, 30 minutes. I think she was just really solid defensively. Maybe a, you know, a bit more of a, a natural defender than some of the fullbacks we see uh, these days. But uh, yeah, it was there was no defining characteristic, but I thought overall the quality was was fantastic. Talking of defence, it feels only right to hand to our resident defender and, of course, a Chelsea former Chelsea defender as well, Claire Rafferty. Claire, is there something you'd like to task Michael with? Yeah, Michael, I was just wondering your opinion on the defensive back line for Chelsea. Do you think moving forward they're going to stick with the four rather than three? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I thought that the really interesting game in this respect was the cup final when they kind of... It looked like they were going to play with a three, but they ended up with a four, with everyone almost shifting across, like with with uh, Magda Eriksson almost played left back that that day, and Jess Carter was the right sided centre back, and then I think Erin Cuthbert dropped in as a right back, didn't she? It was um, it's been interesting to watch their development this season, but uh, yeah, I suppose it is it is probably likely to be a, a four going forward. I mean, how how would you kind of as a, as a defender yourself? How easy was it to switch between the systems? Because Chelsea made it look quite easy this season going, you know, between from the four to the three, back to the the four. But is that easy for a player or are there adjustments to make? I think as as a wing back, it depends how tired you are, because obviously playing with (laughs) at the three, playing in the wing back position, you've got a lot more running to do. But I think I actually preferred um, the four just because I, I enjoyed the defending part of the game and kind of the basics that come with that. But I think when it comes to the, the two centre-back positions shifting to the three, I, I always liked playing with the three because I just think the options were there. And at the time, it suited it suited the playing style. I think this Chelsea team, it seems like having the two, this stability with the two, and I think actually Ericsson being out has allowed for the team to develop at different patterns. And I think they're becoming a little bit too predictable before. And I think this the, the four at the back seems like they have a little bit more cohesion and and, and obviously them numbers, numbers going forward. Well, let's bring Jess into this conversation now. Jess, Michael's with us. What are you interested in or what were you interested in having seen this game? I think for me, I've, I've watched Arsenal quite a few times this year just because I'm, I'm really good friends with, with Kimmy. So... I watch a lot of their games, obviously. And I guess, I don't know, I guess I wanted to ask what your thoughts on with regards to, they've conceded a lot of goals this year and I've watched them in the Champions League and in the league and they concede a lot through transition. And even in the game on the weekend, for the large periods of time, I felt, felt like Arsenal were in control and out of nowhere, Chelsea would have a pretty good chance, right? And so they would need to do that. That's just defending the year on about. So I just want your opinion on, from their tactical side of it, why do you think that even if they seem in control, they're so, still so open to conceding really kind of sloppy goals? Obviously, they got a clean sheet on the weekend, which was great, fine. But in the games all before that, they've been on a pretty bad run. I'm wondering why you think they seem to be conceding a lot of goals for the players that they have, really. It's a funny one because the centre-back partnership obviously is pretty new. I think it was the first time they'd started together. And it looks good on paper, but I think um, it felt like the problem here was sometimes just weren't really covering the space in midfield. And I think I think since he's come in, Jonas Eidevel's kind of struggled to find the right balance in that midfield three. I mean, you'll know better than me, Jess, but the, you, know, you need a different kind of combination of styles in there. And I think at times it's looked a little bit too technical at times it's looked a little bit too defensive and too negative but I mean I must say you know like you said they kept a clean sheet but it's really keeping a clean sheet with a lot of last ditch defending wasn't it and a lot of blocks and a lot of you know obviously at the end I think they I think even Leah Williamson feels like she got away with that one and I thought her her performance overall obviously was her first time back after quite a period out out injured but it's games like this where Arsenal have to do that kind of maybe more penalty box defending that I sometimes worry about Leah Williamson, I remember being at this fixture a couple of years ago and she was up against Beth England and I think really struggled with the kind of physicality and the the intensity of playing against her. So I think the, the partnership seems better on paper with Williamson and, and Raphael Souza, who I thought had a good game until she went off. But it was interesting that, that when she did go off injured, 
uh, Idavel elected to to move uh, Leavalti into the back rather than bring on another, yeah. uh, maybe more traditional defender like Jim Beattie. And you have to think maybe that's going back to the FA Cup final and how Beattie struggled with with basically covering the uh, the, the space in behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more of a technical pairing there with Valti in there. Michael, why didn't Chelsea's front line ultimately do it? Was it, you know, because of the good work from Arsenal's defence? I mean, you saw Sam Kerr have a couple of goes, Frank Kirby, Panella, Hardiguro, Wrighton too. They they certainly pressed hard enough, but why ultimately were they not successful, Chelsea? I mean, they created a couple of good chances, didn't they? There was there was one where Kerr in particular, I think, almost didn't connect with the ball. Mm. Um, I think they struggled to get harder into the game. I mean, this fixture last year, she was she was a different. She scored two goals just round the game. Um, I thought a lot of their approach play was quite good. I think I think Guru Rotens in in really good form. I think she was uh, outstanding against Manchester City and and started well in this game. But yeah, it just didn't quite connect the uh, the balls to the to the right runs. And um, yeah, I, I think a couple of the, the chances they had, if if they are put away, probably we're not talking about the lack of creativity. But um, yeah, just didn't quite get it done mm. on the day. Jess, for you, in terms um, of Arsenal, I think they'll leave the game a, a little bit happier. As as Michael said earlier, at the end of the day, they are still top of the league. But is this now the point where Arsenal can start to really push forward with the season after having quite a few stop and start moments? They've been patchy, haven't they? Uh, and that's continued after the winter break. Is this now the moment where Arsenal can really push on? Or have Chelsea got too much to offer, really, and and, and, and also have a game in hand, of course? Yeah, I think so. I think the one thing that Arsenal can and probably will take from the game on the weekend is is the performance, really. I think, you know, they have struggled since Christmas, even before Christmas, um, couldn't really put a performance together. And I think with teams like Arsenal and Chelsea and City, you know, if they, if they put a performance together, most likely they're going to get a result unless they play against each other, and in which case it's going to be down to chances and mistakes which we saw at the weekend so I think they can be really happy with that and I think they'll be really happy with the fact that they've got all their players back now and they can finally I mean I think that was the first time they've been able to put that kind of team together because they've got everyone there I mean they missed McCabe obviously but they had a lot of niggles before and they were like slotting players in positions and I think they can use that performance to really push on, not just in the league, but in the Champions League. Because I think with the way that they go and with dropping Viv in, I think that's going to be really important in Champions League because, as you know, you get favour in Champions League and it's transition, transition. How good is your transition? How fast is your transition? And we've seen glimpses of what that front three with Viv dropping in, Kimmy being like a little eight. You know, they if they can play more games together like that, I think they're just going to get better and better. So I think they can look forward to that. Both managers pretty happy at the end of the game. Emma Hayes described the game as a cracker, a great game of football between two of the best sides. Eidevel said, I think everyone should be satisfied with the football and said it was a good advert for the game. But he also said, Michael, that that game shouldn't have been at Kings Meadow, really. There were 3,300 fans in attendance, what they called a sellout, but Obviously, a stand is closed there, but Idavel said it deserved to be in front of thirty thousand fans. Is that a point taken? Should you know both clubs have thought about whether this game should have been given more profile, given the importance of it? Possibly. I mean, I suppose it depends on on what level of ticket sales you're going to get. I, I, I tend to think just playing it at a packed house is, is a really good look for the women's game. Um, obviously, we didn't have that because one stand was was closed. But I don't know. I mean, if, obviously, if you're selling forty thousand tickets, then Stamford Bridge would be great. If you're going to sell ten, twelve thousand tickets, then I almost feel like you'd rather just sell the five or six thousand and have a capacity crowd at Kings Meadow because I think the atmosphere really benefits from that. But um, yeah, it's it's in- it will be interesting to kind of look at the the attendance figures at the end of the the season because it does feel like things are going in the right direction but the, that doesn't always stack up in terms of the numbers I mean I do think it's worth questioning quite why one stand is being closed I know Claire works at Chelsea might have more information on this than me but it's for COVID protocols they say but or COVID restrictions but from what I can tell it's basically just because the dugouts have been extended into the stand which means that one entire stand isn't really being used for 
for fans going in, that seems slightly odd to me. And the fact that the game sold out about 10 days early would suggest that there was probably, who knows, a thousand fans or so that, that couldn't be accommodated. So yeah. I do think that's slightly strange. Raf, with your Chelsea hat on. Um, you know what? I, don't, I actually don't know the answer to that. I think they're obviously probably looking to expand, expand the stadium in the near future. I did question that myself because especially how the cameras, if you watch it on TV, you can see the cameras. It also looks like one side of the stadium's empty, which is not. It's a sellout. But yeah, I can't answer that with any facts, unfortunately. We'll send her back to head office with that feedback, Michael. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> just finally from you, Michael, I suppose, you know, such an important point in the season for both sides, really. Pretty evenly matched this game. As I said, I think both of us agree that Arsenal will be the happier just based based on how they left the game and what they came out of the game with and their table position. But what is your take on where both teams are? They've both bought in players, uh, well, Arsenal have brought in um, significant players during uh, the window. Where do you see this title race going? I'd still have Chelsea as the favourites, I think, because of their experience of winning it. Because when you look at their kind of underlying statistics, I think they're, they're probably playing better than Arsenal. They also don't have the distraction of Champions League football, which is obviously a massive blow for Chelsea. After our last season ended, they'd love to still be in the Champions League. But I think that freshness will probably help them in the uh, in the league title race. So, yeah, I, I'd still have Chelsea as the favourites. The only caveat is they do have a funny habit, Chelsea, of dropping points in games where you just wouldn't expect them to. And, you know, as I said earlier, that's what the title race is about now. The the head-to-head games are out of the way, assuming there's not going to be a third or fourth team getting involved in the title race, which I think we can relatively safely say won't be the case. So it's just going to be about winning the games that, that everyone else expects you to win. And, um, yeah, that should be really intriguing between now and the end of the campaign because, um, yeah, there's there's more points being dropped this season than you would normally expect in the WSL, which I think makes things very exciting. Yeah, it certainly does. Jess, your thoughts on where both these two teams go now, Arsenal at the top, but Chelsea with a game in hand. From what you've seen, where's your money on? Yeah, I think I think personally with the fact that Chelsea don't have Champions League, their sole focus will be on wanting to remain WSL champions. Obviously, they're going to be super disappointed that they got knocked out of the Champions League the way that they did. And so I think that, you know, the WSL then will just be their or their sole focus. And it'll be, do they have the kind of grit to, to do that? And I think they have not only the grit, but they have the quality to do it as well. So I d- do I think they're going to drop points? Probably not. So I would say Chelsea for sure. But... I think that if they do drop points, Arsenal will 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 see it through if that happens. Yeah. It's just whether Chelsea can stay focused to kind of win that. Because I think it'll be super disappointing for Chelsea to not they didn't follow through with Champions League and then and then to not then also win win the league. I think, you know, with the players that they have and the money that they spend, that that's gonna be like a, a pretty big not a failure, but you know what I mean. They should be, they should be, you know, in the final of the Champions League or semi-finals at least, and then, and then, yeah, up there with this kind of title. One thing to note is that Chelsea have perhaps got slightly harder a run in. They've got Manchester United to meet, but yeah, we shall see. It makes it exciting, doesn't it? A big thank you to Athletics Michael Cox for joining us for that chat. So it's some really interesting stuff to discuss there. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, a big thanks to the Athletics' Michael Cox. Now to get the inside line, earlier I spoke with Arsenal's Caitlin Ford. So we're joined by Arsenal's Caitlin Ford. Caitlin, congratulations. 50 appearances for Arsenal in this mega tie against Chelsea. Tell me how it feels to be 50 caps in. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it feels a bit weird to be honest I feel like it's come quite quickly um, especially with COVID and a break in between seasons and stuff like that so it it feels like it doesn't feel like it's been 50 because it's been so broken up but um, yeah I'd say it's come quite quick but I guess that comes with how many games we play. You've been at Arsenal for two years as well now which feels much longer than I thought you had been but obviously you're right because of interrupted play. When you look at your two years so far with the side, what are your main reflections? 
to be fair, I, I think I found my love for the game again before I came here. I kind of was in not the best place and I think it was a bit of a new move and a new experience and I think just being here has, yeah, absolutely made me fall in love with the game again and I guess that comes from being at a world-class club surrounded by world-class players. So um, I'm challenged every day and every game and, yeah, I guess that's what I was missing and, um, yeah, I've just enjoyed it ever since I stepped foot here. Yeah, when you say you weren't in the in the best place, was that was that mentally or tell us a little bit about that if you don't mind? Yeah, I think it was a bit of both. I think I just, um, when I was in America playing, it was the first time I had the experience, um, I guess, being a bench player and not playing much game time. And I've been pretty fortunate through my career <clears throat> since 16 up until that point. I'd never had that before. So I think it really took a knock on my confidence. And yeah, I didn't really know how to deal with that kind of emotion and at the same time, I think I was a bit worn out. I was going back-to-back seasons with America, Australia, uh, in the Australian League, sorry. And, yeah, I didn't really have an off-season. I didn't have a break. I didn't have time to miss the game. And, um, yeah, I think it all was kind of just a domino effect. Yeah, because you sort of went from Sydney to Portland. You did some flip-flopping, didn't you? And then and then into the WSL. Well, we're thrilled that you're with us um, and, you know, becoming – becoming really, really settled here as well. Let's talk about the fixture against Chelsea. First of all, the feeling going into it, a title decider potentially. Obviously, it hasn't. Uh, the outcome hasn't changed things too much, but how big were the stakes for you as a team or did you have to put that to one side before the game? Yeah, we, we knew what was at stake. Obviously, we knew this is potentially, like you said, the siding game of the season and... Um, we knew they knew that too. So we knew it was going to be a quality match and we knew we just had to be at the top of our game. And I think there was a really good feeling going into the game. And I think especially in warm-up as well, um, I think that was the best warm-up we've had pretty much all season. We play this possession drill where it's attackers versus defenders and me being part of the attackers, we literally didn't touch the ball. The girls like popped it around us and we yeah, hardly touched it and that's not normally what happens in that game it's pretty even so I knew from that point that you know our back line and our midfield was really on and um, we had a good finishing um, leading into the game and some crosses as well everything was kind of on point so it just had a really really good feeling going into that game. You're right I mean both both sides defences were really strong and it was it was interesting to see how Jonas set up for this one as well we wondered whether he might use Stina Blackstenius up front and then sit Viv further behind in midfield. And he went with that, of course. That was something that Chelsea couldn't couldn't prepare so much for because it's because it's a new formation. How did that work for you? How did you feel about this slight tweak to attack? It certainly meant that Viv was very involved in the game, calling the shots from midfield, but also giving you an extra gear potentially there as well. Yeah, I think so. I think we we definitely got the tactics right um, in that game. And like you said, moving Viv back a little bit, I think it gave her a bit more freedom and she was allowed to get on the ball a bit more. And like you said, Chelsea haven't faced that yet. They normally face Viv as a nine. So I think it really opened up for her to be able to get some good actions in. And yeah, I think just across the whole field as well, our, our midfield was really solid and um, yeah they allowed us to create a lot going forward. And for you as well in terms of your performance I mean look a really tough side to come against certainly Jess Carter you had your fair share of clashes with there was a penalty shout wasn't there in the first half when you were brought down I know Jonas Eideval mentioned that after the game there was obviously a pen shout against Leah Williamson in the final few minutes so I don't know whether you thought it it sort of evened things up in the end. Yeah, I think so. But I think at the same time, if, you know, those pens get called, it's a different game and it's a different result. You know, it's it's just a different mentality being goal up or a goal down. So I think the game would have changed if these calls went a different way. But at the end of the game, I guess you can look at it and say it was a fair result and it was a it was an even result. But um, yeah, I guess those moments, yeah, they definitely could have changed the game. And look, Arsenal had such a strong start to the season. And then it's fair to say that they've struggled a little bit in more recent fixtures. Obviously, you've been away at the Asian Cup, but just coming back into it, how do you assess where the 
lack of consistency might have come from in some of those games? And then what your role is in terms of getting the team back to that to that all-out attack frame of mind that they were displaying at the start of the season? What's kind of hurt us the most is just injuries here and there. We haven't really been able to have consistency with players and you, everyone would have seen in our back line there's been a lot of movement and I think it's important for players to build relationships and I guess that's been affected in a way from game in, game out. It's kind of had the change with yeah, either injury or whatever it's been um, that I think has made it difficult and I think us Aussies coming back from the Asian Cup, um, we came off obviously a disappointment and we went there to play another two games, well, would have hoped to. So I think we came back with a lot of energy and feeling fresh. I mentioned that to Jonas too, that we, it was the first time in my career that I've been in a major tournament and I felt good after the quarterfinal. So I was buzzing to come back and um, be at the Chelsea game because if we would have went all the way, we wouldn't have been here. Well, we would have been here for that match, but yeah, obviously very tight um, yeah. to turn around. So yeah. I was I was buzzing to be able to be involved in that match. And uh, in terms of your new signing, we've mentioned Stina, but obviously Raphael's joined you as well, and that's and that's quite an interesting addition to your back line as well, isn't it? It's good to see her, you know, settling in and and looking really strong. Sadly, she came off in that game with injury, but your new signings look like they may have given you an extra impetus as well when it comes to, well, this kind of really crucial time now, seeing it through until the end of the season, trying to hold on to that top spot. Yeah, I think so as well. They've definitely strengthened the squad. And um, yeah, I think Rafa was awesome um, in the game. And I've seen a lot of Rafa um, with Australia. We seem to always face Brazil in the big game. (laughs) I've definitely seen a lot of her and I know she's a quality player. And I mean, the same with Sweden as well. We always seem to face them and um, yeah, I'm familiar with Sina and, um, yeah, she can bring something new to this team and I guess she's already showed that as well. But we've only scratched the surface, so I'm excited to see um, more out of those two. Were your battles with Jess Carter pretty fair game or was Jess, Jess a bit heavy? No, I'd say it's fair. I, I like a bit of a battle like that as well and I guess at the end of the game, what happens on the field stays on the field and I guess we're both kind of fiery players, so... You always knew it was going to be a battle like that. And um, yeah, well, I guess we both got stuck in, but I think it was a pretty even battle. <laughs> <laughs> and just reflecting on the Asian Cup as well and having been away, I'd noticed a, a social media post of yours where you said that India had been an eye-opener. Yeah. Just just tell us a little bit about that because as a as a footballer, you know, when so much of your life is 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 kind of insulated with football and training and these rhythms of the seasons and and um the off seasons, it can be really, really enlightening, can't it, to just experience something a little a little bit different. It was just, yeah, so different culturally. And I guess we didn't get to see too much because we we're in quite a tight bubble, but you didn't even have to go far to see much. Just the the drive to the training and back was enough. And, um, yeah, I guess it was emotionally draining as well. At the same time, it was sad to see how people have to live there. And at the same time, you felt so lucky where you come from and what you have. But I think the biggest thing for all of us, what we've seen was they had very little, but everyone was so happy. And I think it just showed you don't need much to be happy. So I guess... Yeah, in that sense, it was an eye-opener for me to know that, you know, it's only little, but that doesn't bring you happy, happiness if you have a lot. So, yeah, it was cool cool to see a good experience, but not sure if I'll head back too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit of a level is often refreshing, isn't it? I mean, a lot of Arsenal players are now heading off on international duty. You'll be staying at home. Have you got any plans for these next two weeks? You'll be training, obviously, but are you allowed a bit of time off as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm training until tomorrow and then I have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, which is nice. And um, I'm going to head to Switzerland and enjoy some of the weather there and experience a winter there and some snow, which we don't get in Australia and I haven't really seen fully. So I'm excited for that. Awesome. And just a general run, really, on the feeling at Arsenal. I guess it's yours to lose, isn't it? You're at the top of the table. Chelsea have got a game in hand. So that may shift things around. 
how do you deal with this? How do you deal with that being at the top of the table? The gap has closed and you've got to hang on, haven't you? But it's kind of almost tougher for you because you're because you're at that precipice already. Yeah, I guess so. But I think at the same time, I, I think we know if we just do our job now and that's what we can control, the rest is how it will be. But I think, yeah, the, I think the pressure is pretty even with us and Chelsea. They can't drop points. We can't drop points. And, yeah, I guess, as I said, if we win out our games now, then whatever happens, happens. We've done all we can. Well, look, it's been so lovely to speak to you. Congratulations on a on a really entertaining game of football. I think the football won out and it's great for neutrals to see and it's a great advert for the game here in England as well. Really nice to speak to you. Caitlin Ford, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was me speaking to Arsenal forward Caitlin Ford. Up north now to the other big derby of the weekend. Foot in, everyone gets her own foot in. This is Weir, stealing it from Zellum. She won't go for it here, Weir. She went for the chip again, and it's brilliant again. Well, it ended Manchester City 1, Manchester United 0. Roses are red, Manchester's blue. Weir hit the winner and a fine finish too. Let's talk about this game in detail then. The first derby between the pair when United have been ahead in the league. So already different going into this game. Manchester City with the upper hand. I think it's fair to say that Manchester United weren't all at the races for this one. Jess, what did you make of it? I watched a little bit of it. I was actually on camp and so I was watching it with our manager and obviously we have a couple of girls at United so we want them to do well. But I don't know, I... I, I find it hard sometimes to watch these games because with, with City, for example, I I think they're so kind of rigid in the way that they play and, and so predictable. And United have been on a great run, but I, I don't really think they, they caused City any problems. I would expect them to have caused City more problems. And, and there was a couple of decisions with personnel from United that I didn't think allowed them to actually be the best that they they can be, if that makes sense. So I was I was a little bit disappointed when I was watching it because I just expected it to be a little bit more gung ho and and really going for for the get for the win, you know. How would you have changed things then if you were Mark Skinner? Who would you have used? I just I just think that you know he had he had Russo on one side and and Tune on the the other kind of side out wide and. I just don't think that suits their game, either of them, to be honest with you. I think Russo's great down the middle. And I don't think that they were super, I don't think they were aggressive enough. And I just, I feel in, you know, if I'm United and I'm going into that game, I'd, you don't really have an awful lot to lose at this point. And United have been kind of had some good results lately. I just wanted them to come out, I think, just... And just really take the game to City. Yeah, I really yeah. kind of wanted them to do that. And so that disappointed me a little bit, you know, especially with the way that Mark Skinner kind of talks and he talks about the game and, you know, t- talks a great game. And I just expected them to come out and to just really have like a lot of fire. And I, I just didn't see that. And I was a bit like, well, this this is a really big game for you both now. If, if United have won that, they would be in a great spot right now. And so I just kind of was, I don't know, expect, expected a little bit more. Yeah, well, City are chasing United, aren't they, for that Champions League spot at the moment. I think one error from United was not snuffing out Lauren Hemp and Jess Park early enough. Chelsea learnt last weekend that this is what you needed to do in order to stop the attacking threat from both those players, Raf. And actually maybe Man City were just a bit, a bit too much for them that United spent too much of their time trying to handle Manchester City rather than trying to go on the offensive themselves. Yeah, you know what it seemed like the the City won the, the mentality side of the game. Like Jess mentioned about the aggression, but I think the midfield is where the game was lost a little bit. Um, I don't think they won their one to one one v one battles, but them in them wide areas, it was so exciting to watch. Actually, I really enjoyed watching Hemp and Park um, in the wide areas. I think Blundell. I think also had to, had bronze to deal with as well with the overlaps and underlaps. And on both sides, to be honest, it was they, they, I don't think they were able to get out their half in the, in the first half. But I think 
the, the kind of the dynamic movement from Park and Hemp, Hemp in particular, I really enjoyed Park. The step overs she was doing, she was every every time she got the ball, it's like she grew in confidence, wasn't it? Step overs, like she was she was taking risks. She looked like she was really enjoying herself, and it's something I haven't re- really seen of late um, from City side because they've been quite static and quite yeah. predictable, as Jess said. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in this game, it seems like United just played into their hands. Jess, let's talk about Caroline Weir's goal. She's got a habit of scoring worldies. She's already got two Puskas nominations uh, for goals in 2019 and 2021 in Manchester derbies. For this one, which came on as a sub, overturns the ball, runs with it, left-footed chip, 25 yards out, spinning the ball right into the top corner. And when she watched it back after the game, she said, oh, that's quite naughty, isn't it? Which I liked. Another moment of joy from Caroline Weir, Jess. Caroline is just such a fabulous player. I I love watching watching her play. She's been fantastic for years now. Uh, I was surprised actually to see that she wasn't actually starting the game, but she the goal is just. I mean, I don't really think there are many, but they're they're the, they're the type of goals that you score that you try and train in, and then if it comes off, every single person in the whole training session is just screaming. Um, at the top of their lungs Um, but the fact that she has done it twice now she loves it going from left to right obviously she's got a knack of that because she's a lefty and I watched it and I I said to Jem you know I feel sorry for Mary Herbs right now because this has happened not only once but twice Uh, she's got a a hate seeing Caroline Weir that's for sure (laughs) All right. Well, there you go. Uh, It ended with Manchester City making inroads, really, on that Champions League spot. Let's go to another game now. And you might have thought that that was the top four covered. But actually, there's another kid on the block in third right now, and that's Tottenham. They beat bottom of the table side Birmingham as Ashley Neville poked in a loose ball in front of goal. And later, a Neville cross found Rhea Percival, who slotted the ball home for a 2-0 win away from home for Spurs. I mean, the star of this show for me, Raph, was Ash Neville, standout player. For a right back, she's got such a good knack of being at the heart of what Spurs do in terms of attacking. She's opened the scoring with her second goal in two games. I mean, she's in great form at the moment. What did you think? Yeah, I think that just speaks volumes about how Spurs are playing, getting numbers in the box. Um, she seems like a confidence player. I don't know her personally, but it seems like as I think Tottenham have silently creeped up the table, haven't they? And as they've done so, Neville's performances have creeped up with them. And, I think I love to see fullbacks getting on the getting in the box and, and finishing and getting some finishes and shots on target because that just shows the hunger um, and I think the structure of Tottenham as well the, the fact that their spine is so strong of late allows some of these attacking players a bit more freedom and I think yeah I think all plaudits to her. Moving further away from Birmingham at the bottom, a Leicester City who upset West Ham on the weekend. Natasha Flint charged down West Ham keeper Mackenzie Arnold's clearance for Leicester's first. Ashley Plumptra scored a header off a corner to double the lead in the first 10 minutes and Freya Godfrey tapped in Shannon O'Brien's cross to seal the 3-0 victory. Jess, this one for you. Obviously, at Leicester are the new kids on the block when it comes to the WSL and their chances of survival are strengthening, aren't they, week by week? Lydia Bedford doing a great job at the side since taking over from Jonathan Morgan last December. And um, I think she's really allowed her attacking players to flourish. Yeah, absolutely. I think this result for Leicester specifically is is a, is a huge one, you know. And not just was it kind of like a, a 1-0. This is a 3-0 game of, of confidence and they'll, they can only take that then going forward and I think it's going to be really interesting because if they keep gaining their confidence and 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 climbing that ladder then it's Everton that are going the opposite way right now and so yeah I think they would have gone into this game knowing that it was a super important one to to not lose that's probably what they would have thought but to come out with a 3-0 win is just it's just huge it's such a good victory. 
Yeah, absolutely right. Let's move on then to Brighton versus Reading. Leicester weren't the only team to pull off an upset as Reading gave Brighton the green light. Yes, Kaylee Green, that is, scored a brace for the Seagulls. Eileen Whelan poked in the third and Emma Coivisto turned and fired off a quick shot to make it four for the home side. Emily Eichelin scored from what was lightly intended as a looping cross for a consolation goal for Reading. This went against form then, didn't it, Raf? Reading have been doing really, really well. They had their, their longest winning run of five games in the WSL. We'd all wondered what had gone wrong at Brighton and suddenly they pull this performance out of the bag. Yeah, on paper, I would have given it to Reading all day long, given their form. But you just never really know what you're going to get from Brighton, do you? I think, I think I've think i read a stat that they, um, they scored more goals in this game than they have done in the last three months. So that speaks volumes about Brighton's form. But yeah, I think Green and Whelan were, were really impressive in this game. And I just think Brighton are crying out for just a little bit more consistency, aren't they? You, you just don't know if they're going to, you know, pay, you know, hold a, a Chelsea team like they have done or, you know, lose emphatically like they have done also in the past. So I think uh, but they, they did a lot of their work in the first half of the season. Um, and I think it's just about regaining a little bit of confidence and composure, which they can take from this game. Yeah, absolutely. Your former team, Reading, Jess, after the game, Kelly Chambers said the performance was out of character. It was lacklustre, didn't show their work ethic. What do you put this down to? I know that even though Reading have had some really good results, they have struggled from an injury perspective. Their squad has been rather small. I think over Christmas that a game cancelled, I think, the Arsenal because of COVID and injuries. And obviously... You know, we always joke that Redden FC is Wales FC because they've got so many players that, that I speak to girls. <laughs> and, you know, they've, they've just had a really small squad. So I think, you know, it's, sometimes it's going to get you where you just, you know, you keep going, you keep going, and then you wake up one Sunday morning and you're like, you know what, I'm just really tired today. And hopefully that it'll just be a one-off game and they'll use the break now to kind of regroup and push forward again towards the end of the season. Well, finally, there was a changing of the guard at the bottom of the table as Aston Villa beat Everton 2-0 to move up into ninth, leaving managerless Everton down in 11th. Villa's loan signing Jill Scott produced an acrobatic overhead kick, my God, this was impressive, to assist Emily Gilnick, who poked home, and Alicia Lehman crossed the ball for Ramona Petzelsberger's tap-in. Gosh, where are we with Everton, Raf? I feel like they are flailing and failing really badly and nothing seems to be turning this around at all. Chris Roberts at the end of the game, one of the caretaker managers said we need to find a way to grind out results. I mean, just saying the obvious things, really. They've got good players. Kenza Dolly was certainly strong in the first half for them. But what can Everton do? I mean, it, it, it looks desperate at the minute. Yeah, it's it's dark time to think of Everton. They um they've been struggling just for almost identity. I, I think in hindsight they probably shouldn't have sacked Willie Kirk, <laughs> given all the kind of the ups and downs they've had since then. They're crying out for some some structure and some and some consistency. And I, I doesn't I don't know where it's going to come from at the moment. They've got a, they've got a good core. Um, they recruited well. It just seems like they lack leadership. And potentially they need to bring in some some experienced players, some experienced players who used to play in WSL um, to try and steady the ship. But it's not. It doesn't look like it's fun times there at the moment. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber to the Athletic, you can get a third off a subscription right now by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Show with me, Kate Borsay, Jess Fishlock and Claire Rafferty. In other news, the Athletic understands that the FA are looking into resetting yellow cards partway through the Conti Cup to make it fairer with teams coming into the competition late. That's after Ella Toon's complaints on our show last week echoing manager Mark Skinner's concerns. Coming up, it's international break and the Arnold Clark Cup is here. It's a four-team friendly tournament featuring England, Spain, Germany and Canada. England face Canada on Thursday in Middlesbrough, then Spain on Sunday in Norwich, followed by Germany next Wednesday in Wolverhampton. Leah Williamson confirmed as captain because Steph Houghton is missing through injury. Let's talk to you, Raf, about England's chances. They've got the 
chance, I guess, finally to sort of test themselves against some big opposition under Serena Wiegmann. Are they ready? Um, you know what? I think it's a great opportunity to benchmark where they're at with with these um, nations of higher quality players. Um, I think before it's been a little bit too easy and they've been allowed to be a little bit passive. But I think it's a great opportunity for some of these players to state their claim. I know that as uh, obviously Leah Williamson has been named captain. I think it's a good opportunity for her to learn. I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually. I, I, I think I thought it was going to go towards more bronze, given her experience. But it's good to see that Leah Williamson is going to be given enough opportunity to lead this team. And I think, yeah, it's. I don't know what to expect, to be honest, because yeah. I think the opposition we've it had is a bit in the like past that, isn't it? Has sort been of COVID has completely yeah. disrupted things so much that we don't really know where we are. What we do know, though, Jess, is that you know England might be ready for a test, but you've got Spain with Alexia Porteas and Jenny Hermoso. We know about Germany and their pedigree and Canada, of course, who've just won the Olympics. Bev Priestman knows England very well. So from someone who's not English, so there's no favouring here at all from you, (laughs) how do you see England getting on against this really tough opposition? Yeah, look, I think I'm actually really kind of excited to watch these games as long as they're not on when I'm actually playing Um, (laughs) because I'm interested to see. I think... I think England and Germany are going through the same kind of transitional situation at the moment. So I'm interested to see which one of those nations does it the best way. Well, not the best way, but the most effective way to produce results in these types of games. I think Spain, honestly, I would put all my mortgage, and I don't really have a mortgage right now, but if I did have a mortgage, (laughs) I would put my mortgage on Spain winning the whole Euros. I just... Wow. I think... I'd have to agree there as well. Yeah. They... And it's not just... um, It's not just because they, you know, have Alexia or Mosa or they just... They have a right balance right now. They have high on confidence at clubs. They're just oozing this kind of belief that I don't think any other team right now in the world is feeling that way. So... You know, nothing with Canada. I obviously play with Quinny, and they um, they were saying that they're all in like off season, like where we are at in the in America. So they don't know where they're at right now. So it'll be, yeah. I think it'll be a tough one from Canada just because of the travel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they're always a tough team, anyway. You know, they're always super structured and work really hard and are difficult to break down. I honestly think it'll be. Really exciting, and this will be the tournament where the manager, the new manager, will actually see who she has, who she wants, who she needs, and who brings what yeah. to the team, and how they, you know, stand up against really big name, tough yeah. opposition. Uh, well, as yeah. we mentioned, Wales play Scotland in the opening matches of the Pinatar Cup on Wednesday in Spain. Good luck in that one, Jess. Plus, Northern Ireland play Faroe Islands on Thursday and Switzerland on Sunday in Friendlies in Marbella. Well, that's all we've got time for on this week's The Athletics Women's Football Podcast. Just quickly to say, if you want to get in touch with us, let us know what you think. You can access us at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod on socials. Don't forget to download, rate, subscribe and leave a review. For now, though, it's thanks very much to Claire Rafferty. Cheers, Raf. Thank you for having me. And good luck for the game, Jess, and, of course, for the season ahead. Jess Fishlock, thanks. Thank you very much. And for our listeners, we'll see you again next week. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with NOW. With a NOW Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. The Athletic.